Well, good morning, Miss Yoday. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Uh, my name is Nathan Phillips, and I'm an elder here at Miss Yoday. And uh, this morning, we're going to be diving into Luke a little bit, chapter 4. So if, if you have a Bible, open it up to that. If not, there's Bibles at the ends of the rows, if you could pass those down to those that need it. And as you're looking it up, it's, again, it's chapter 4, uh, 16 to 21 is what we're going to be focusing on. And I just want to share very briefly, um, this is kind of a divergence from my notes, so forgive me. Um, I always look forward to, to these times that I get to come up here and, and share a message, share what God has really been laying on my heart and working in, in me, uh, mostly because in my time of preparation for this morning, God usually wrecks me <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. And uh, so as, as we go through this message this morning, the thing that God kept bringing up to me over and over again uh, is intentionality. What am I being intentional with? How am I being intentional in sharing the gospel of Christ to others? Whether it's at camp where I work, whether it's out and about, wherever I'm at, what am I doing to be intentional? And uh, as I was going through this, as I was reading through Luke, it, it really struck me how intentional Jesus was in everything he did in his ministry. As we look through Luke, we see Jesus' birth foretold. We see Jesus being born exactly how it was foretold. We see Jesus presented at the temple. We hear the voice of John the Baptist crying out in the desert, preparing the way for the Savior. Shortly after that, we see John the Baptist baptize Jesus. And in that baptism, the Spirit descends in the physical form as a dove. And we hear a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son of whom I am proud. After that, Jesus enters 40 days of solitude in the desert. No food, no shelter. He's got nothing with him. And yet, as the devil comes at him, at him over and over and over again, offering earthly comforts, offering power, authority, Riches, kingdoms, Jesus consistently denies him because he's been anointed with the Spirit. After that, through the Spirit, Jesus returns to Galilee and enjoys, uh, as one commentary put it, the Galilean springtime. This was his time in Galilee where he started preaching and rumors, or not rumors, his reputation really started growing. People started to seek Jesus out for his teachings and for his preaching. And he was praised and loved in this time. And they're not really sure how long that lasted exactly. Um, but after that, he returned to Galilee. So all through Luke, we see intentionality. We see Jesus' ministry being built on earth. And we see preparations happening for things to be fulfilled after that. I guess my question is then, as we see this, as we see God the Son, God the Spirit, working towards the glorification of God the Father, what are we doing in our lives to be intentional? What are we intentional about? Is it money? Is it savings? Is it education? Social status? Having the right house with the right car parked out front in the right neighborhood with the right schools? What are we intentional about? We all have our priorities. And, and I really feel like in this passage, 
we see Jesus laying bare his priorities. In verse 16 and 17, actually, you know what? Let me just read through the whole thing, and then we'll focus on, on bits of it. So if you're there, if you, if you have an aisle Bible, it's page 859, starting at verse 16. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So we're going to start with verses 16 and 17. Again, what strikes me here is intentionality. Jesus who is this small-time boy, kind of made it big, receiving praise, receiving love from, from all these people, returns to his hometown, where you'd think he'd be received with love and open arms. And what does he do when he returns home? As was his custom, he attends synagogue. It's in this that he's teaching people in his day and setting an example for people now, currently, of the importance of having a community. The importance of having some sort of local expression of the glory of God that you are regularly attending. Not when it's convenient for you or when it's cool enough in the chapel that you feel like you may not pass out. (coughs) It's important to have a local body. It shows Jesus' value of other people and the high value that he places when people come together to lift high the name of God, together, in community. To me, it shows the importance of having people who are surrounding you regularly, who will lift you up when you need it, who will share life with you, who will really know what it is to come alongside you when you struggle, to know what it is to come alongside you as you rejoice and as you celebrate, people that will hold you to account, and people that will sing your praises because of who you are in God. That's what the local expression should look like. All the while recognizing that none of it is about us. But we're all here to glorify God. The other thing that that this shows by Jesus attending synagogue as was his custom, he also stood up to read. It shows that Jesus wasn't just a, a passive attender. He didn't just check it off his religious checklist of, oh, did my religious duty, now I'm going to go about my week. Jesus was actively participating. In this case, um, it it demonstrates, in this specific instance, Jesus kind of stepping out from being a private citizen, a private attender, someone who was just kind of at synagogue into a more public ministry. Jesus very specifically chose Isaiah. 
chances are uh, the temple president would have asked Jesus to, to do this reading, probably because of his rep- reputation that's been preceding him as he goes from place to place. And in accepting that, the likelihood is that Jesus requested this scroll from Isaiah. The reason that, that we, he would have been asked to read is because the way the temple service looked, there was a very specific order, a, a specific flow to it. It would start with a priest doing a reading out of scripture. After that, a Levite would have a reading out of scripture. And that would be followed by five Israelites who were local attenders of the synagogue reading scripture. It's likely that Jesus was one of those five in this instance. The scripture that he requested is is from Isaiah, as it says. It's right around chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and then some other spatterings of, of pieces of 58, and some intentionally left out pieces of 61 as well. And when we read through it, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I feel like what Jesus is doing here is outlining what's to come. He's outlining his earthly ministry. And he does it in a couple of steps. First, he proclaims where his power and where his authority comes from. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All the gifts of the Spirit were were poured out on Jesus. Nothing was withheld. He had all the gifts and all the knowledge that the Spirit brings. It also signifies Jesus' call from God and his anointing not with oil, but with the Spirit. This is the same Spirit that dwells with us today, right here, right now. But do you believe that? If we as the church are to take our lead from that of Christ and how he ministered well on earth. The question comes to mind is, is who is this poor that Jesus refers to? He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And I think there's two kinds of poor that he's referring to. There's poor of the world and there's poor in spirit. Poor in the world have earthly need. It's people who are hungry, who don't have proper amounts of food. It's the homeless, it's the abused, the jobless. People who we often kind of just keep off to the side. We tend to kind of put them there so that when we look at our life, we can see them in the peripheral. We know they exist. We sometimes acknowledge them, but they're just far enough off to the side that we don't really have to directly encounter them. We like to keep them right about here. And I think oftentimes we want to do good for the poor. At least I do. 
I want to serve. I want to believe in social justice. But I want to do it in a way that it doesn't really affect me. I'm not fully willing to put my resources that God has given me behind it because that might change my lifestyle. That might change my level of living. That might mean I don't have the new iPhone. That might mean I don't drive the car that I want to drive. But it does mean that I recognize where my resources come from. And it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to make those intentional choices to change our lifestyle to put God first. But when we're talking about intentionality, when we're talking about priorities, we need to recognize that the service of God needs to be number one. And everything else flows from there. The poor in spirit. Those who are meek and are humble. Those who truly are sorrowful for the sin in their life. To those people, the gospel is welcome. To those people, the gospel is a splash of cold water on a hot day. It's refreshment. It's the promise of hope and the knowledge that we serve a God who does not break his promises. So who are the poor? Look around. It's us. It's sinners like us that need to hold fast to the promise of hope. It's the recognition that it's our sin that held Christ to the cross and that it's our freedom that was bought with the price of Christ's blood. It's us. Jesus is our deliverer from captivity. And it's by his merit that we are released from the guilt of sin. By him alone. By the spirit and grace poured out, we're released simply by proclaiming Jesus Christ as our head. By recognizing that our life isn't our own. It has been purchased. It has been bought with the price. And we need to give it up to Jesus. It's by following the guiding of the Holy Spirit who was sent to us as promised before Jesus left this earth. And it's the submitting to the will of our Heavenly Father. Christ brings light to a dark world. He restores sight to the blind. He allows us to see what we would have never imagined in our lifetime. His blood is sufficient for all. And the Spirit comes upon us as soon as we recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Verse 19 He has been sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of jubilee, or the year of release. In Israel, in Jesus' day, every 50 years, there would be this year of release. The servants would go free. All debts canceled. Ancestral land that was sold off is returned to that family. And everything is kind of put back to where it was on earth. Jesus is coming to say, 
I'm proclaiming the, the year of the Lord's favor beyond that. Not just every 50 years, not just with earthly possessions or people or whatever that may look like. I've come so that for eternity, you can be set free from the bonds of hell. This isn't just about what we possess. This is about who we have been created to be and the reality that we have a God in heaven who chases hard after us. Jesus is, is announcing here that salvation is proclaimed. He's announcing that he is the Messiah. And in that day, this would have blown people's minds. This is a big deal. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is making a bold statement here, especially in his hometown synagogue, among people who would recognize him, who would know him probably from this big. But Jesus is saying, this is the beginning of what's to come. Watch this. Watch who I minister to. I'm going to minister to the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. Watch this. I am he. I have come to release you. Watch this. Jesus lays out his ministry plan, fully based in scripture, with the full authority of God, and is rejected in his hometown. There's mumblies of, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he a carpenter? What? What is he saying? He's the Messiah? His hometown crowd can't even get behind him. But that doesn't stop Jesus. He continues on. We know that. We have a whole New Testament to back that up. He continues. Because he has been anointed of God by the Holy Spirit. So what for us? How are we living into the call that God has placed on our lives? For me, I think we're kind of at an intersection as followers of Christ, as Christians. We're at this intersection where every day we have a couple of choices. We can choose to wake up, do our normal morning things, walk through life, maybe acknowledge God when it's convenient, Maybe pick up the Bible if you have 10 minutes and you maybe don't have a computer or a phone to occupy your time. We can go through the day. At the end of the day, we can say, oh, God, thank you for this day as I'm kind of falling asleep and I'm out. Or we can choose something better. We can choose to wake up in the morning, thank God for this day that he has created and placed us specifically in for a purpose We can recognize <clears throat> sorry, the sacrifice of Christ on a cross and we can intentionally walk in the way of the Spirit. And I, I often wonder what my life would look like if I did that. If every time I was downtown Chicago and I felt the need to go share some words with a person who I've never met before, I actually did it. Instead of brushing that off, as just an inkling, and it would embarrass me, and it would be weird, and I don't want to do that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the spirit down, because I'm going to continue on this path that is more convenient for me. 
that is more intentional for my betterment, for my comfort, to reduce my embarrassment. And I know we have them. I know we all have those pushes, those inklings, those nudges of the spirit that can't be explained by anything else besides, okay, God, I'm here, let's do this. What would it be if we acted that way as opposed to being selfish and putting ourselves before the leading of the Spirit? For Missio Dei, as a church community, as a body of believers, as a local expression of what the ministry and reality of Christ is, what does that look, for us, look like for us? And I think, too, we have, we have a choice. After today's done... We can choose to get up, skate out of here, maybe grab a couple of donuts on the way out, and go about our day. We can choose to be this place where we come together once a week and catch up with friends and hang out and enjoy one another's company and maybe get filled up from other people. But about Tuesday and Wednesday, as you rely on other people to fill you up, you're going to be drained. It doesn't fill you. Nothing on this earth can fill you. So we can continue using church, whether it's here at Missio Day or in general, as this substitute of, I'm going to be filled because I like these people, because they like me and they make me feel good about myself. And we continue to run on that week after week, but you're going to get drained. My question is, what if every Sunday when we came together, we would fully recognize the power of the Spirit. What would it look like if we really believed that the power that rose Christ from the grave after three days is here, among us, inside us, surrounding us? That same power that we saw Christ do miracles, the same power that we saw him send his disciples out and perform miracles, that same power is available to us now. If we are intentional to follow after his leading, that could change the world. I'm not talking about just the Lincoln Way community high school local area. I'm talking about the world. And it's not for us. It's not so that Missio Dei can gain a reputation. Jesus Christ in Galilee gained reputation. People loved him. People praised him. People sought him out. And yet what did he do? He left. He went somewhere else where he knew he was going to be rejected. He went back to his hometown where people he knew would say, that's Joseph's son. We don't really need to listen to him. As soon as Jesus gained reputation for himself, he turned it over to praise for the Father by following and submitting to his will. So what are we going to do? We can continue coming week after week. We can maybe throw some money in the basket as it gets passed around and continue checking this off of our religious duties list. Or we can recognize that in gathering of God's people, as the Spirit is upon us here, that there is power here. We could be filled today with something that will last well beyond this next week. 
Jesus offers water that you'll never thirst again. We saw it with the woman on the well. The trick is, I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea to give you a five-step process to say, this is how you're going to live in the Spirit. Follow these five steps, and you'll fully recognize what the Spirit can do in your life. I have no idea. This is still a struggle for me as well, which is one of the main reasons that this week I have been wrecked. (laughs) I have recognized in this week that I like having power. I like having control. I like being the person that can give answers to people. I like knowledge. And I like gaining the respect of other people because I know things, I'm willing to do things, whatever it is. And I also recognize in this week that I sometimes hold on to that tighter than I hold on to our Savior. And that's a problem. And I think we all have something that we tend to cling closer to our hearts because we can touch it, feel it, smell it, know it a little bit more than we can the Holy Spirit. Even though when we feel the movings of the Spirit, we put it down, we don't tend to acknowledge that. We don't tend to acknowledge what the Spirit would have for us. And so what is that thing? in your life? What's that thing that you need to give up control of so that the Spirit can continue chipping away at you? So that the Spirit can fill you to this point where you are overflowing, where you can't help but walk past people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ because you are so full of what he has done for you and so ready to serve him in any way that you can, no matter the embarrassment, no matter that it might be a relational strain, no matter what. You're ready to chase hard after Christ because you fully recognize the sacrifice that he has made for you and you are in tune and walking with the Spirit. But we all have stuff that creates those roadblocks. What is it? What are you holding on to? What are you clinging to? What's your life raft right now? What do you need to let go of? We're going to prepare to come to communion, to come to the table. And as we do that, I want you to take some time. There's no rush to come up here. Sit and be still. Do some self-examination. Recognize what the Spirit is doing in your life. And remember that it's not going to be easy. Even on the night before he knew he was going to be nailed to a cross, Jesus Christ taught. He sat at the table with his disciples, and he took a loaf of bread, and he said, This bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, remember that sacrifice. In the same way, he took a cup, And filled it, saying, This represents my blood, which has been poured out for you. This is a new covenant that through me you can have fellowship with God. Whenever you drink of this, remember me. Would those serving please come forward?